Today's reading is from Romans 12, 9 through 11. Okay. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Reliance. What a fun Sunday. Um, baptism Sunday is always a joy to be able to gather. and It's a great opportunity. We go to weddings. We get to celebrate graduations. There are things that we gather the family around to enjoy together, but the family of God celebrates together the fruit of God's work and the gospel in that uh, this is a family event, once in a lifetime opportunity, and so um, if I were to get re-baptized, and I don't hold to that tradition, or I think it's appropriate, it is a once, one-time commitment, I would have asked for this passage, I think. Uh, Romans 12.11 is something throughout scriptures that has been good for my heart. And so with that said, um, I'm going to ask your permission. Caleb and Maddie are going to be making their public profession of faith here in a little bit. And I'm going to speak to them. Um, But I know, and you know as well, that this is a faith that we all hold dear. That while we speak, I might speak to them, I am also speaking to us as well. And that we are all equally um, held accountable to responding by the Spirit to God's Word, to be diligent. And I pray that as we consider it this morning, that at the end of our lives, that our Father, and by His Son, and by the Holy Spirit, could say, good and faithful servant. So with that in mind, let's pray. Lord, I am tempted towards a form of meandering, Mediocre righteousness. As I look at the sacrifice of Christ Jesus, I am reminded that he gave up all things. He did not hold his glory as something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, taking on the form of a slave. And so, Lord, as we consider him and the commitment that he had to the will of the Father, even in his last hours, as the Temptation, I'm sure, was overwhelming. He faithfully said, not my will, but yours. Lord, we can testify that the the gift of the gospel has so transformed us, we are not what we once were. Nor in our natural coming to this world, being descendants of Adam, we lived lives that were against you. We enjoyed exchanging the truths of God for a lie. But by your grace, you have redeemed us. And by the work of the Holy Spirit, he is so transforming us. Sometimes quick, some of us slowly to gain the greater reward. Lord, as we even think about the two that are going to come and make a public profession of faith this morning, Lord, I pray that this would mark a memory in their own mind of the Spirit's work. That their faith is not their... Um, something that they've socially 
been given, but that's something they've individually responded to them themselves. This is their faith. As a church, we can recognize that we have also made that commitment as well to follow Christ, to love Christ. But Lord, in light of their love for you and the work of the Holy Spirit within you, Lord, in this profession of faith, we celebrate what you have done and that we can once again see the fruit of God being put on display. And Lord, I pray that in light of this passage this morning, to be diligent, Lord, I pray that for these two and I pray for the the remaining part of us as well, the church as a whole, that we would be as well. Finish the race. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us, we've been sitting through Romans 12. We have spent now three weeks. This will be our third week. We spent a week on verse 9. We spent a week on verse 10. And now we are going to be spending a week on verse 11. I think it's perfect in light of the, the situation in front of all of us to be reminded of what we've been saved for. A lot of times when we talk about the gospel, we talk about the gospel of what we're being saved to or what we've been saved from, but recognizing that God does not desire just to be saved from his wrath, but be also saved for something. And I think it's perfect when someone internally responds to the gospel as the church, when we watch the Spirit's work within an individual as they respond, respond by faith, we as the people who have gone can recognize by the Spirit that there will be fruit. Paul has labored on the doctrine and the Spirit's work through chapters 1 through 11. And when he gets to Romans chapter 12, he puts before the reader in the church, in verse 1, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He expects something. So moved by the Spirit's work, so moved by the transforming work of God, he expects something. Fruit. Now fruit looks like, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may Prove, do something what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. The spiritual service of worship can be, and I've tried to stress this for the last two and a half weeks, can be seen. You can taste it, you can see it, you can physically recognize it. Spirituality, as we come into know in America, has been this idea that's an internal reality. But the reality is this, everyone's spiritual. Whether corrupted or renewed. Whether been wicked or transformed. The reality is, is that we're all spiritual and you can determine the spiritual condition of an individual by their expression, their fruit. The reality is, is that what Paul has put up before us is prove the quality of what you believe. Christian ethic that's being placed before us in Romans chapter 12. What marks Jesus as so, I mean, nobody can measure up to Christ, but so unique in that we all recognize the work of the Spirit within him. In fact, it was after his ministry when the the Spirit indwelled the disciples and Peter is forced to go to the Gentiles' house of Cornelius that he begins to himself testify 
excuse me, testify of what he saw of the Spirit's work in Jesus that he says to Cornelius and his family. You know of Jesus of Nazareth. How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. You can test the quality of one's fruit by the spiritual authority that indwells the individual. As we recognize in Ephesians, there are those of sons of disobedience and those who have been made sons of God. And we know the theology. We've been walking through Romans. As Romans 8.14 has already said, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And on the basis of all these things, you can expect something. You can expect a quality of fruit to be revealed to the reader. And so through Romans 12, he's been trying to say, what can you expect? And so two weeks ago, a love that is not hypocritical and that there's a perspective of evil that we recognize that it is not good, that it leads to death. And marked within the mind of the one who has responded to Christ, we cling to what is good. And because of the Spirit's authority or the rule within an individual, it bonds a people into a whole new way of living. That we're a family, even closer than our natural family. And so we devote ourselves to one another in brotherly love. This is fruit. This is why we do something different on Friday nights than the world does. We're not conformed by the practice of the world, but we're transformed by what Christ has done and through his Spirit. And we give preference to one another in honor. Today we now recognize that Paul wants to hit us one more time with this Christian ethic in light of the Spirit's authority not to lag behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So as considering this verse, what would I like to encourage you, Caleb and Maddie, with? Don't let your public expression of faith today Mark the end. Sometimes we've treated the gospel in such a way that we just got to get people to say the prayer. I think after we read this and we stir our minds in it, the master hates that type of gospel. He hates it. Because he, indeed he does save us from his wrath, but he also saves us for something. And if the spiritual moves in you, it will change the way that you will live the rest of your life. And I say that to you, Caleb and Maddie, but I also say that to the rest of us as well. Do not let your public, of, public expression of faith that you once have made, whether in baptism or whether just in conversation, be the end of your spiritual service of worship. Paul would say to each and every single one of us, be diligent. Don't stop. Don't get lazy. And so with this, I would want to remind ourselves, Caleb and Maddie specifically, before I even get to verse 11, I just want to remind you of this reality. And that sounds, I know probably for the critic, that sounds like works. But I want to clarify that the means by which you have even inherited this salvation is that one, the salvation you have enjoyed now is as a result of a gift. Remember, salvation is a gift. For we all know, as we have learned all thus far, is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we watch ourselves, I remember even making the public profession of baptism myself. The reason why we do it together in a community, that's why you don't take 
baptism or communion by yourself. It is a testimony of a community together in that which we remember we all believe the same thing. We all believe. We came into this world, all have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all believe this. And so there's no confusion that's taking place when one enters the water. Because we can testify that we all believe the same way. But we recognize even that while we had sinned, Romans 5, 6, for while we were still helpless, the power of God, the grace of God, at the right time, Christ died for us, for the ungodly. And the love of God in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The wrath which was due to us was received in Christ. Now I know I'm saying probably very familiar things. But that is the thing that which we must always stir in our minds for why we have unity together in Christ. It anchors our fellowship, it reminds us of our unity, and it is good to remi- remember that the power of God that leads to salvation to everyone who believes is not just for the Jew, but then also for the Gentile. As a result of faith, the right time, Christ died for us. And we know that those who have not responded to the gospel are due the wrath of God. And we recognize that as a result of faith in Christ and his work for us and his sacrifice for us, as Romans 6.23, we inherit the, the gift. For all have sinned, excuse me, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You didn't get this. This was given to you. Don't trust in your own efforts. Trust in the work of God. And recognize that even your own justification, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which in Christ Jesus. This keeps us from becoming arrogant. I think it's helpful for me at times to remember how powerful sin is. It actually is depraved, it's a depraved mindset. The way that we watch the world around us, as Paul will later elsewhere say, like they don't know what they're doing. They actually believe what they're doing is right. The only way that which we can be transformed is by the grace of God, the gift of God. At the right time, Christ died for us. And the means by which we inherit it is the gift. But not only that, while we're saved from his wrath, we're now saved for something. The problem is, is that we recognize that if it was just left to ourselves to live a life of transformation, we couldn't do it. So while we recognize that salvation is a gift, the means by which we walk the Christian life is also a gift. Remember Peter, as he preached the gospel for the first time to his brethren, his brothers, Israel. Peter said to them, as they're mar- their, uh, hit to the heart with the gospel, and they're like, what do we do? Acts 2.38, he says, Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So recognizing that salvation is a gift and the means by which you get to live the Christian life by the power of the Holy Spirit is a gift. And so when we read Romans 12, the means by which you take and live these things out is by the power of the Holy Spirit in which you trust 
But in light of this, because it's a gift, why I'm stressing this, I think, is important, is if one one gives a gift to whomever he desires to give the gift, he gives to the gift He gives the gift to the one he gives it to with an expectation that they will be able to use it according to their giftedness. Recognizing that I don't give my three-year-old car keys. Why? Because that would be be just bad father skills, right? But I will give her a toy car. Why? Because that's according to her gifts. But the, now every illustration will break down, but the reality is, is that God has given you the gift of salvation, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he knows that you can, all of us can walk according to that gift. And in light of that, that's why Paul leads out in Romans 12, do something. Because the one who has given it to you knows you can. And when we get to Romans 12, 11, do not lack behind in diligence. There's this plea to not make the expression of our faith, whether we make it in baptism or we, something that we made publicly before or internally, to be the mark of the end. Because in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 has already been remembered in many of our minds. For by the grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved. This is Gift language through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The reality is this. Before you get to Romans 12, you recognize what you've been given. It's a gift. And the spirit that which indwells you to do these things is by the gift of the Holy Spirit that these things can be accomplished in the Christian life. Which leads me to the second point then, which I ask all of us to consider equally, remain diligent. Set Christ before you. Consider his sacrifice, considering his unwavering commitment, and follow it. There will be times you'll need to rest. We all need to rest. But don't be confused. Don't, let us not be confused rest with slothful, sloth. Almost made my own word up there. Don't confuse being restful with being the sluggard. We use this all the time. Just resting. But after a while, years go by, and we have noticed the fruit that which we bear is the sluggard. Be diligent. You can hear in the plea. I've read it probably three times. Let me, let me read it to you one more time just to drive it home. I urge you, Romans 12, I urge you. He doesn't say these things because he says these things because I think he knows. Let's just coast. Let's just meander. It's a gift. So maybe there's no expectation. I urge you, brethren. And then he appeals by the mercies of God that you have come to enjoy, present your bodies as a living holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do something. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may, as you see it again, prove 
prove what the will of God, that which is good and acceptable, acceptable and perfect. This is why he said it in verses 1 and 2, and then he has to say it again a third time in Romans 12, verse 11. Do not lag behind in diligence. Remain fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Finish the race. There's a word here in verse 11. You see it here. It's translated lagging behind. Do not lag behind. We translate it in two words. But it really can be translated in a variety of forms. Lacking zeal. Lacking ambition. Being lazy. Some of yours actually might translate it that way. Do not be lazy. Reality is, is that the, Paul, the word that Paul has used here only occurs three times in the entire New Testament. Paul uses it twice, and our Savior Jesus Christ uses it once. And I think what I'd like to do, as Paul recognizes the character of God and how he knows who Christ is, and he appeals to this, I now I think at least three times, to plead with the church to do something, to work out their faith. I would love to, to use the time that I have remaining this morning to see the perspective of Christ in the way that he uses it. And as we look at it, this rare other occurrence where Jesus uses the term that Paul uses, I think it aids us well to understand this Christian ethic. And so if you allow me, I'd like to go outside of Romans 12 to give us the context, I think, or the idea that's being trying to be conveyed here in verse 11. And to do so, I would like you to take your Bibles to look at the other occurrence that it pops up in in Matthew chapter 25. And as you turn your Bibles there to Matthew chapter 5, let me give you some context. Remember that chapters 24, the disciples recognized after Jesus just came into Jerusalem, they think as he rides in on the donkey that he's going to go into Jerusalem to establish the kingdom of God. Everything goes haywire as he makes his way into Jerusalem. And he starts throwing over tables in the temple, making the Pharisees and the Sadducees upset. As a result of this, they kick Jesus out. They reject him. As Jesus makes his way out and goes to the Mount of Olives, the disciples' hopes were crushed. And they ultimately ask, well, what's going to happen now? You were supposed to take the kingdom and establish it, but now you've been kicked out. Tell us when you will take the, and establish your kingdom and tell us of the sign when it will be established. And so that Jesus begins to teach. Now, in light of my rejection, things are going to get really rough. So in chapter 24, he says you're going to see wars, nation against nation. You're going to see tribulation. You're going to see plagues. You're going to see famines. That he teaches the disciples in Matthew 24, 8, that all these things are merely the beginnings of the birth pangs. And in light of that, Jesus uses Matthew chapter 24 and 25 to be his, I think, Romans 12. This is how my beloved will live out the Christian life in the midst of a world that's falling apart. So if you look in Matthew 24, there's this steadfastness that can mark the Christian believer. 
there's this, um, even as things get tough, there's this one who is remaining alert. Verse Matthew 24 through 42, therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. There's this desire to use every day for everything that it's worth. Matthew 25, verse 13, you have this idea, be on the alert, this urgency of how to live the life in the midst of a broken world. For you do not know the day or the, nor the hour. And as he gets to this point, he wants to stress the character of the Christian life in light of a world that's falling apart. And in this story of the parable and the talents, he uses the same term that Paul does. And I think it gives us the perspective of how we ought to use the gift. So I'd love to just enjoy it and walk with me through it as we understand, I think, what Paul is calling us to. Look at verse 14 as Jesus teaches. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and he entrusted his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two. And to another, one. Each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Five talents is, 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 is a large sum. The first person that got five talents essentially could employ about 100 people a day. So it's a significant amount, or excuse me, for about a year. It's a significant amount of resource. The person that got two, 40 workers, one talent, small businesses, that's 20 workers for about a year. So it doesn't matter what amount it was given, all got a large sump of money, But I want you to see something that that Jesus stresses out in this parable. To one he gave five, to one he gave two, and to another he gave one, each according to his own ability. The master gives according to the one of his ability, meaning he knows you. And he's not going to give you something that you cannot steward. Paul has already made this reference, and I'm going to go back to Romans chapter 12, in light of the gift that we received in Christ. He's already argued in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For the grace given to me I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as so as to have sound judgment. So God has allotted to each, God has allotted to each a measure of faith. He gives to this church the people that he says, or the people that he saves, according to their giftedness. For just as we are many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us, to exercise, exercise them accordingly. Why? Because he's the one that's given them to us accordingly to our giftedness. So he knows us. There's a personalness with a God who has now saved us and he gives us, a, he allots to us a measure of faith. Turn back with me back to Matthew 25, verse 15. To one he gave five, to another he gave two, to another one, each according to his own ability. Some of us have more resources than others. Why? Because it's according to our own ability. And he goes off and he went on his journey. Look at verse 16. Immediately, 
Let's see this twice. Verse 16 and 17. Immediately, the Christian life, in light of the gift giver, when receiving the gift, uses it. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, prove it. Bear a fruit. God doesn't give... We're not the three-year-old with car keys thinking, what do I do with this? No, it's reasonable. Give a 16-year-old car keys and then you know what to do. Immediately the one who has received the gift, he goes out and he invests it. The one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more. The one who had received two, verse 17, in the same manner, the one who received the two talents gained two more. Verse 18, everything is going like it's supposed to. In verse 18, you get the word, but something's not working right with this one. He who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Sluggard. Verse 19. As I go through this, what I'm trying to learn, I think, what I encourage all of us, is like, what is the perspective of the master towards the servant who does not use his gift? Why is he teaching these things, the disciples, in light of everything falling apart? This is the mark of those who are being ruled by the Spirit, how they use the gift. Verse 19. Now after a long time, a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents, he came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to them, excuse me, said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, what, what a day, what a joy it would be for that servant who, who did not meander, yet was diligent. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enjoy the joy of your master. Also, the other who was given less, just two. The one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more. Same thing. God is not, he, he loves all people. He rewards all people. Those who are his, and the same reward resulted to him, even though he had less. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enjoy, enter into the joy of your master. Everything's gone really well. I want you to notice something now as we go back to this third, this Sluggard. All of them fear the master. They have a high view for him. You're going to see this with this third servant. He recognizes the authority of the master, the giftedness, and that he has the right to give according 
to one's giftedness. He knows all these things just as the previous two had done. Yet his response is entirely different. And as we look at this, when Paul says, be diligent, and Jesus is going to use the word that Paul uses as well, we gain a perspective of what Christ expects of, of those who have received the gift, how to use it. And the one, verse 24. And so the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, one with expectations. I used to have a boss and he wouldn't work on Fridays, Saturdays and he expected that while he was out of the warehouse the employees were working. Occasionally he would pop in. Good masters have expectations that we would be working. Every once in a while he'd catch one of us meandering. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, one with expectations. You reap where you not sow and gather where you scatter no seed. I was afraid. And I went away and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. What if that's us? What if that's you? Been given the gift. You've been given according to your own ability, and you've buried it. There's a warning for every single one of us here. And I'd ask Caleb and Maddie to remember, don't let the expression of your faith that you make in baptism today end. Because here's the warning for all of us, how the master responds to those who do this. Verse 26. But his master answered and said to him, and you're going to see the word, you wicked, lazy. It's the only other occurrence that you'll find in the New Testament outside of Paul. You wicked and you lazy slave. You knew that I reaped where I did not sow. You were not diligent and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, bare minimum, and on my arrival, I would at least have received my money back with interest. Your complacency. He, the master reviews the, the, the one who's been given the gift. And if you do nothing with it, you lazy, you wicked slave. That's the term that Paul says in Romans twelve eleven. Do not lag. Do not be lazy. He knows. Paul writes these things because he knows the master. He knows the attitude of the one who calls us to good things. He's empowered us in the spirit to do these things and live them out. And the master has given to each one of us according to our own ability. He hasn't asked us to do us something that we cannot do. And to bury it. Look at, he doesn't stop there. This, this passage should cause great concern, right? Should have at least bare minimum put in the, the bank. Verse 28, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has, given, has, who has been given 10. Verse 29, for to everyone who has more shall be given 
and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Great warnings. But when Paul writes Romans 12, he knows the master. And if the spirit is so in us, we ought to have an expectation. Bear fruit. Bear fruit. Let the spirit so rule in you. He's given to you according to your gift. Don't end the race. A man who marries his wife and stands before a whole congregation to pronounce his love for her, only to go home and never live with her, is a fraud. Might that be said to the one who is a Christian who shows up on Sunday and lives an entirely different way the rest of the week? It's supposed to be encouraging, I think, right? It is encouraging in this sense. Like, it is good to fear the master and it is good to live for his reward and to know that his expectations, he hasn't called us to things that are not unreasonable. That we live by the spirit. Look what he says. Do not lag behind in being lazy. Don't confuse rest with being a slugger or being a meandering Christian or living for mediocre righteousness, but rather live fervent in the spirit. He lives within you. So run. Run the race set before you. Always giving this lifestyle of serving the Lord and you will never regret it. You will never regret it. You have so many ways to use your time. You will never regret doing this. Using the gifts that God has given you and using them as a good steward, whether you might be a a spouse, an employee, a parent, whatever giftedness that God has given you, Young adults, these are good gifts to live out the faith wherever God has placed you. We have not been saved from to do nothing. James gives us this warning, right? He hates it too. He knew his brother. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works. I will show you my faith by my works. We can expect in Romans 12, fruit. Isn't that great? We are witnessing this morning fruit. Some of us are introverts. And we remember going to the baptism and standing in front of everyone and saying, I love Jesus. I think for an introvert, the means by which you do that is only by the Spirit's work. For some of us, we can't wait, right? Can't wait to get in front of everybody. But to think carefully about what we're doing to make this public profession of faith, I believe like you. I believe that I've received the gift, the grace of God. Verse 19 of James, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. They actually move. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? 
run. Don't let this day mark the end. As I said it in the beginning, I would love that reminder for myself, for there were days in which I wanted and sometimes questioned. But by the Spirit, I remember these things that God has saved me, that His Spirit rules within me, and day by day, He's transforming me. And sometimes I feel like that I disqualify myself in the sense that I'm just Jacob. The reality is, is that God in his spirits does great things. He gives according to the one's giftedness and he has great expectations. So here is our final thought before we go to baptism, our convictional response. Do not lag behind in diligence. Don't be lazy Live fervently in the Spirit, always serving the Lord. It was read right in the worship service. Greg read it. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. Be transformed, do not be conformed. And the sin which easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the protector of our, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame as he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, consider him always, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not, that we will not grow weary and lose heart. It will be worth it to fight laziness, and to remain diligent for however how long God will let you run. I hope for this, for you. As Paul comes to the end of his life, he writes this to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, I have fought the good fight. And toast. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And he knows in the future there is laid up for me. He claims it for his own. The crown of righteousness that's yours. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, not only to Paul, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Run. Don't let this mark the end. I would encourage you if you're established, that's how we say if you're old, seasoned given a great life don't coast encourage us as, as those who are younger give us a model of what it look, looks like when we get to be your age the time for meandering in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s is not till you're done once you get to enjoy the glories of God set for us an example For God has given you according to your giftedness in this season as well. So set an example for us. Don't coast. Please, we plead with you. I plead with you. Set us an example to finish well. Some of you probably have about 10 or 15 more years of running. Run. The world says you can retire. Don't. Consider Christ. Be diligent. Some of you, Caleb, Maddie, myself, a lot of us, 
we still got a long ways to go. I hope. Run. Use every day considering how the Lord might use you, whether you be in high school, college, starting a new job, new relationships, how you could honor in those things. And run in such a way that you could look back at the way that you lived your life remaining diligent. There'll be tough times and you may need rest, but don't let the rest become an opportunity for sluggardness, for meandering. And thank you for letting us testify with you of the fruit of God that is now evident within you. Today we get to see the Spirit's work within two individuals of what God has done in their own lives, and that's worship. And so as we encourage them, I pray that we would allow the whole body to encourage us to these things. Don't be lazy. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we're going to invite here in a little bit the children to come in as well. Lord, we recognize as parents or young adults, high schoolers and college, that we have a responsibility to live our faith out in such a way that honors you. And we recognize that there's a world that's watching, but we also recognize our own, our own children are watching. They know how we spend our time at home, You know how we lead our families or speak in front of our friends. Lord, you have been so gracious. I don't understand how you have chosen us to be the recipients of your gift. I'm so thankful that we are not left alone as orphans to walk the life set out before us. For you have given us the spirit. And like a coach, every athlete wants to go out onto the play, out onto the field and play the game. You have not left us on the bench, yet you put us out into the world. And some of us have greater impacts and greater places to reach the lost. Some of us have just the one. But each person has the opportunity to express through our giftedness the love of God. Lord, let us be diligent. Let us be faithful. Lord, I pray that we be a people that remember that you have expectations. And through that, we recognize that a life of worship is one that uses the gift honorably by the Spirit serving you. And when we do that, not just on Sundays, but throughout the whole week, we honor the gift giver. And so, Lord, I thank you for the fruit that we get to see and that you don't leave us guessing of the Spirit's work within. And if there are any one of us in here that has been the sluggard, Lord, you are a gracious master. You give these things to us to be convicted by. Lord, I pray if we have been meandering, Lord, by your spirit, would you encourage us to run once again. And we recognize that you are gracious that when we repent of these things, that you do honor those responses. Thank you for these two in the profession of their faith, Lord, that we get to enjoy this morning. And we pray for them that they would run well. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have the kids come in. The old